What is the science of reading? What are leaders doing to accelerate reading achievement? We answer these questions and more in Science of Reading Leadership, Guiding Minds, Transforming Lives, powered by Just Right Reader. Welcome to today's episode of the Science of Reading Leadership podcast. We have an incredible guest today who I think you're going to find a lot of practical wisdom and insights from. Dr. Fabian H. Cohn serves as the Executive Director of the Office of Academics in the Broward County Public Schools. His scope of work during his tenure in included overseeing and implementing the district's K-12 professional learning continuum of instructional staff development services from pre-service through national board certification. He has served as a public school educator for over 25 years in various tenured roles as an elementary school educator, grades three, four, and five, assistant principal, principal, and principal supervisor. Dr. Fabian Cohn, welcome. We're excited to have you. Well, I'm extremely excited to be here and to, to share uh, some of the great things that are happening in Broward County Public Schools uh, and to hopefully impart some great practices that we believe are having some success in Broward County, uh, as well as some testimonials that possibly could share in terms of what are we hearing out in the field right now from our teachers, administrators, and non-instructional about the implementation of our science reading. And that is exactly why we want you on here, because all of that is exactly what we want to hear about. Tell us a little bit about how you got into education and how you moved into your role as executive director of the Office of Academics at Broward County Schools. So um, like many people, um, education was not my very first uh, uh, career choice. I was a business choice and uh, I started subbing at the school I went to um, elementary school at. And that is where I think I found my passion. Uh, it was an inner city school uh, made up kids that looked just like me. And when I went back, I just had that urge and that that passion that this is something that I really wanted to continue to do. And I've had mentors along the way who have helped me, grow me, molded me to who I am today. And so it was really just going back to where it started for, for me, that, that, that itch started right there and that passion to kind of help those that look like me, be like me and want to aspire to be people that, that just look like me. So it was just that, that fire that started in me. Nice. I love that. Have you always been in Broward County Schools? What kind of led you to your position as the executive director of the Office of Academics? Sure. So I've been with Broward for 27 years. It's been the only district I've actually been an educator in. I've taught at higher ed, but uh, as far as the public school system goes, um, I started out um, in an elementary school that was probably the largest elementary school in Broward County, which was Chapel Trail Elementary at the time. Um, and I was actually the probably the first, I was the first black male teacher uh, at that school. And so it was it was interesting at the time because people really thought I was a celebrity uh, when <laughs> I got there because they didn't see uh, people like me that were teachers like me. And so it was important for me to uh, represent and also show that um, the world didn't look like the school, but it was made up of many people that look like me um, in terms of the demographics. And as Broward changes, if, if you don't know about Broward, we're the second largest district in, in Florida. We're the uh, sixth largest in the nation. So we're pretty large in terms of 
our district and our composition. So for me, it was really about um, having those mentors uh, who helped me along in, in my early stages of education. So I had a very strong principal. Her name was Dr. Cook, who was a black female who believed in me. My first interview for a teacher. And so she really inspired me to say that if she could do this for me, imagine what I could do for others. And, and so my leadership pathway started from someone like her helping and believing in me to grow. And so I carried that on to be an assistant principal where I had, a, again, a phenomenal principal who really said, one day you're going to be my boss. And she treated me every day as I was going to be her boss. And that that year that I was an AP, uh, the school was a B in Florida. We rate schools, uh, we grade schools. And so that next year, she gave me full reign to be an instructional leader. And then that, that year, we became an A. And that year, the following year, I became a, a principal. So uh, I had mentors and mentors along the way uh, that really... Uh, held my hand. And I think that that's what really inspired me to be a leader, um, to landing to be a principal at a three-term D school and being sanctioned by the state and being told you have one year to turn that D around uh, to an A or that school would close. And so really taking all the leadership, but the key thing is the teachers having to have high expectations of every kid bringing the churches into the community. We did in that first year, we turned it around and with that school went from a D to an A in one year. Uh, and the school was a turnaround school. Uh, I got a turnaround. I got, uh, at the time it was, um, the, the governor was Jeb Bush and he actually came down and gave me a letter, um, but it was because of that school. And so, I mean, we, we did full court court press um, with those teachers, um, and it was just phenomenal. And that school never went down even after I left. And so after leaving um, for five years, maintaining that school's grade, we then became, I became a principal supervisor and then trying to really continue to do that work, that good work with some of the other schools that had struggled or continue to struggle. So my pathway was uh, doing that principal supervisor, then doing teacher development, to now to where I am and, and really looking at cultivating and inspiring teacher leaders uh, to really do some of the work that those teachers at, at Sanders Park did in terms of moving achievement. Uh, because if we could do it for those students, any school can can move students and have high expectations. And so that was really what prompted me to kind of move where I am. I mean, my mouth dropped, right? When you go from a D to an A in one year and you like hold that and you use the word, like we did a full court press. And I know <laughs> that there's a, a lot that went into moving that needle. Um, just real quickly, just what's the one thing that you would say you did that made that exponential amount of um, growth? So we really had to do a forensic audit of the instructional materials and what teachers were teaching because they really, teachers do their very best for what they have. Well, they had a lot and they couldn't discern what was quality materials versus what was inadequate materials. And so what we found is that not only did they not have the high expectations, they were using inferior instructional materials. 
they were using materials that were on the students' instructional grade level and not on their grade level. And so for the majority of the year, students that should have been in K-1, 2, 3, 4, and 5th grade, sometimes they, those students came in two to three grade levels below and they were teaching them right on their instructional level as opposed to the grade level they were on. And so to me, I always say that, you know, they were disenfranchising the students because one, the teachers didn't really know how to teach the students on their grade level because they were so far below. So we really had to put one to your question. We had to do the audit of the materials and make sure that none of those materials were in front of the, the students and the teachers. And then to make sure teachers knew how to scaffold where students were to where they needed to get them. And so having things like Ruby Payne, if you if you never heard of Ruby Payne, it was she wrote a book on understanding poverty. Back in the day, that book was very popular. So we really needed to make sure that teachers understood that every student can and will learn at their grade level. So one, material audit. Two, having expectations of all students and setting a culture of that within the school. And then just using data to kind of drive the conversations. This episode is brought to you by Just Right Reader. Extend phonics instruction, strengthen school home partnerships, and accelerate reading achievement with take-home decodable packs from Just Right Reader. Personalized take-home packs make phonics fun and accessible for families. Every book comes with a video phonics lesson and writing pages to help readers reinforce their decoding and writing skills. To learn more, visit JustWriteReader.com. Thanks for sharing kind of the, some of the steps that you took. I know it was probably a lot more in-depth than that. What I love to hear from you, especially as a district leader, is that instruction is still at the core, it sounds like, of every decision that you make and that that you are an instruction, not just an instructional leader, but you are an instructional expert. So that's that's really refreshing to hear. We'd love to know more about how you're leading Broward County, I'm sure with a group of, of other leaders, but being very intentional right now about literacy and your plans to ensure that all students know how to read. Can you walk us through what your literacy goals are right now for students in your district? So going back to my, my, my days as a principal in looking at just where students are in terms of being able to, uh, I like to say read to learn versus learn to read and where they are. We have a huge gap in terms of um, a majority of our students still are not reading on grade level. And so taking it back to say, what, what can we do as a system, as a district to uh, improve or mitigate that achievement gap? Uh, we know that due to COVID that that, that significantly um, took us a couple of steps back in terms of where we were. We also know that uh, there's the summer loss, there's the pre and post COVID loss. What can we do to make sure that we, we get back some traction to where we were? And, and that's where our science of reading implementation is so critical because we know that if students lack foundational skills, phonemic awareness, fluency and phonics at the core of reading, then the gap in terms of making sure that they learn to read versus to read to learn is that much greater. So really being very intentional when we look at our adopted core uh, reading program to ensure that it does have all of those elements of the science of reading in that within the 90 minute to 120 minute reading block, 
that those centers and stations are fluid and flexible and that we're pro providing explicit instruction to students that come in at those gaps, but we're also enriching students at the very core because we don't want to lose traction on students that come in at readiness level. So our goal is to provide our tier one instruction to teachers that regardless of where students come in, 90% or more of the time students should be uh, exposed to literature and content at their grade level while still reinforcing those gaps that exist. And so making sure that there are centers that focus on phonics, there are centers that are focused on fluency, there are centers that are focused on word recognition and background knowledge. And so our comprehensive science of reading plan really is adaptive to school needs based on the data and the demographics. So every classroom is gonna be structured differently so that we either are enriching or intervening at the levels in which students are coming in so that we're meeting the needs of every student in the district. I love that, like that whole idea of enriching or intervening, like everybody's gonna, everyone's gonna get the love, everyone's gonna get a, a touch. So that's, that's fantastic. Um, what would you say then, how are you pulling in your whole community, um, non-instructional teachers, like the family, how are you pulling them in to help support with that work also? So really great question. So we developed a three-year comprehensive science of reading plan that looks at our instructional staff, our non-instructional staff. And so in our first three years, because we feel that in order to do this right and to do this with quality, that it's gonna take us three years to really do this. And so we won last year, we started with a core group of the willing. So there were about 12 schools that we brought together over the summer to do a deeper dive of what the science of reading is. And those are the ones that are gonna do a practicum piece of the science of reading. For our teachers, all of our teachers from K through five are get, gonna get our intensive first year uh, professional learning that's targeted into deeper understanding of the science of reading, really exploring their role specific applications of the science of reading and how does that look. So the first year is really about getting them with understanding those foundational pieces of the science of reading. We're doing the same thing for our leaders. Our leaders who are part of this continuum are expected to go side by side with our teachers so that when they go in and provide some look fors and they need to understand how they can best support the teachers. We're also providing a level of triage to our priority schools, schools that are, have some significant challenge with academic gaps of students. So once teachers go through our first year professional learning, which involves three six-hour courses of the foundational reading, which includes the phonics and phonemic awareness, they will then also get two days of support into the classroom because one of the things we don't want to happen is what we call the implementation dip. Once teachers go through rich, rigorous professional learning, we don't want them to dip and go back to old practices. And so we intentionally targeted schools during the daytime that we're going to go back and support after the professional learning. We're doing that. We're doing the same thing for our, our administrators. And then we're also rolling out to our teacher assistants and our paraprofessionals, our one year, uh, first year professional learning opportunity where they get an orientation of what it looks like. So if they're supporting a teacher in an ELA block, they know the components of how they support that teacher and those students in that block. We also rolled out to our district leaders 
bus drivers, cafeteria workers, other directors and budget, they also will have a micro-credentialing that they will go through where they get a white belt. So if they go to your one training in orientation of the science reading, they get that as well. And so by the way, our teachers in their three-year uh, program, the last year is they do a practicum, they will get a badge each year to become a science of reading master teacher. So they have to complete that. And as part of their master plan in service where they get in-service credits, that will also tie to their certification renewal. So it's really gonna be robust. Uh, they each will have their badges that they can put into their email and then their master badge at the completion of this. And so the same thing that's gonna happen for our non-instructional, if they go through a three-year program that they go through, so we're really building this out as a comprehensive roadmap of the science of reading. So every employee in the district has an opportunity to engage in the science of reading. Listen, I, I want to move to Broward just so I can get a badge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I have I have so many questions. I've took a, I was taking um, a ton of notes while you were explaining this. I'd love to know a little bit more about the theory of action and the thought process behind, you know, those support staff who maybe are not instructional, um what type of information they're getting about the science of reading and really why you decided it was important for them to also have this knowledge. Yeah. So we we like to say that um Every, everyone, whether you uh, support, instruct a student, have a role to play in the life of a student. Our student is at our center of our science of reading. And so every opportunity that any instructional, non-instructional staff have with the student, they have. If you're riding a student home on the bus as a bus driver, you have an opportunity to engage that student in the science of reading. If you're a cafeteria working and you have that student walking through your line with that trait, you have an opportunity and an obligation to engage that child in discussion on components of vocabulary, right? Talking about what kind of fruit that is, the, the, the texture of the fruit, providing background knowledge. You have a role. And so our role in, in, in academics is to help you take your job, your role, and how does that lived experience work within the science of reading. And so that's what we do. So in year one, the goal is participants focus, become familiar with the science of reading philosophy and develop essential skills around the phonological awareness during this, this six hour training that they will go through. So it really does help them to see how their job embedded work applies to the science of reading and how they can implement practices within their career in their jobs specific to the science of reading. And so it really is about awareness of what they do. Oh, wow. I mean, really, and, and when you give people the information steeped and connected to what they're doing, it becomes natural. It becomes easy for me to see how my role as the cafeteria worker can fit into this body of work. Uh, and it, it, that was that was great. That right there, I just want to pause and like let that sink in because all we have to do is present how it connects and everyone else naturally sees how they connect to the work. And I think that's brilliant. It's brilliant. I was 
Also wanting a little bit of the nitty gritty. I loved what you said about really trying to prevent that implementation gap. So from the professional development to actually doing it in the classroom, you said that you've started supporting um, during the day. What does that support look like um, to try to prevent that implementation gap? Sure. So with all our professional learning, we have outcomes um, for each professional learning. What is what is the desired success look like at the end of this professional learning? So we take those outcomes and we actually develop a walkthrough tool for the science of reading. And so as um, our faculty are going out to schools and doing walkthroughs for support, not evaluation, because that is key, our role in academics is to provide support. We are providing some look fors to see whether or not the teacher is actually implementing those components of the science of reading so that they can then come back and strategize how best do they go and work with that teacher or a cluster of teachers at that school on how to correctly implement it that well. That could be that they go in and do uh, I do you do we do model within the classroom. It could be that they pull them out during a PLC to really help a, a group of teachers that may have specific areas of focus that they want to remediate those teachers on. Or it could be that they really want to shadow that teacher and help them go and, and do it with the teacher. And so we have different ways in which we're going to tackle when we see implementation if it's not happening with the teacher. Thanks for sharing that. I just, I knew if I was a, a district leader or a building leader on the other side of this podcast, I'd be wondering, what does that actually look like? <laughs> yeah, it's the support. We hold your hand. We go together in this work. Well, what have been some of the challenges that you've seen so far? Just the enormity of doing a rollout as large as this is. And so the challenge is we have, you know, when, when you take a look at us being such a large district, we had to come up with a comprehensive science of reading calendar that involved every elementary school. We have 137 elementary schools. So that means that we had an aggressive goal to get to 137 schools three times a year because we have three courses and we're rolling it out. So what that meant is on Tuesdays and Wednesdays, we hit our priority schools, schools that are struggling academically because we want to make sure that they get the first services, right? And then on Saturdays, we are hitting all of the other schools in their innovation zone, which are the feeder schools, the elementary, middle, high that feed into each other, right? So the, the there are a couple challenges that come into play. One, those are voluntary on Saturday. We can't force them to come. So we are now having to incentivize them and pay them more than we typically would pay the teachers, right? So that was one challenge. The second challenge is we all know across the nation there's a teacher shortage, but there's also a substitute shortage. So we really had to work with, uh, before we launched this, we had to meet with our sub finder company and said, can you give us 40 subs every week from, the, from now to the end of the year and guarantee that these subs show up at these schools to remove those teachers out for professional learning? Well, for the most part, they've been able to do that, but we've had obviously many cases where they have not. And so some teachers have been left behind and couldn't take the professional learning. So the challenge is one, having enough subs and then having the ones that come on Saturday attend. That is our challenge. So we are having one makeup sessions at the very end of the year to catch those teachers that either couldn't come because they work on Saturday 
and they couldn't come for other obligations. So we're make we're having to address those and make up, but we're taking data along the way to see how we can catch those up. You seem to really be um, walking the talk, Dr. Cohn. Um, it sounds like you are in buildings a lot, that you are as in part of the professional development a lot, and that's wonderful to see. We'd love to know more about what's, what the feedback um, has been on the implementation. What are you hearing from teachers and principals and families as you roll your plan out? Well, it, you know, the good thing is that we have, uh, we rolled this out to principals on our first academic day before school started. Because one thing we know in order to, for this to be successful is that we have to have principal buy-in, especially those principals that are giving up the Tuesdays and Wednesday because that's lost instructional time in the critical schools. So we had to, one, make sure that they understood that having them out for essentially six days for the whole year, because it's two days each quarter, is going to give you more bang for your buck in terms of having a proven teacher that has a proven instructional practice record based on the professional learning, that they're going to get more results in terms of improved student outcomes because you're going to get teachers coming back really knowing how to address those student needs. They bought into it. And so they, the, the challenge is they were, they're upset when they don't get a sub so that they can send their teachers to it. So that's one of the challenges. And then uh, two, in terms of just making sure that we have systems in place to support the teachers once they get the professional learning. Uh, that's the other real key piece. And so now launching it out to parents and communities. So we have a community parent connection piece of it, letting them know how they can actually implement the science reading because we're having some home kits uh, going out, some decodables going out to the parents as well. And so there's a full complement to orient parents on what this looks like once the, the students are released to them, that there's a continuation of learning that has to happen at home as well. Powerful. What advice um, do you have for other district leaders who are working to ensure all kids learn to read? Like, what advice would you give them to continue to implement the work that you're you're seeing or that you're doing? Start start uh, with really just taking a look at your capacity. Um, we say the will and the skill, uh, the willing versus those that feel that they don't need it and start start small uh, with a pilot of teachers and principals uh, if you feel that you have issues. In our district, we have one of the largest labor groups. Uh, we had to really get with them and have them uh, be a part of this so that they can be as supportive of this as, uh, as we are. And so we actually had our BTU, our with BTU as our broad teacher union, our president, actually take the courses so that she could then, when she gets feedback from teachers, why do I need to go to this? I already know this. Well, you may know some of it, but it's been a while. So she's been part of our, our gatekeeper to say, I've been to this training, it's quality training. So we try to hit it in so many really directions that uh, the teacher shouldn't have an excuse or reason not to go because it's been fully vetted by all. Man, you really do have a core group of the willing. Like yeah. <laughs> you really stuffed your deck. That is the core group of the willing. And that is, that's awesome. Yes. Uh, Dr. Cohn, we um, 
Obviously, we could talk about probably your plan for hours upon hours, um, but that's almost all the time we have on the pod today. But what we do want to ask you is what else should people know about what's happening in Broward County? It, it does take a community um, to make this this work. And so we, we have really had to really look at funding uh, for us to support our teachers to continue this work. We've also had to look at vendors wrapping around and supporting this in terms of making sure that any platform, vendor, uh, contracted services we use in terms of supplemental materials, it all has to align to the science of reading. And so what we also needed to do is after the professional learning, we had to design what a science of reading classroom really looked like so that all the materials that the district provided and paid for it's an alignment to the science of reading. And so starting not only with professional learning, but making sure that there's a mechanism in place that mm -hmm. the materials that are being used align. And how does it look in the day of a classroom? And so what we had to do is we designed what a science of reading classroom looked like, taking all of the core and instructional and supplemental materials together in the classroom and showing them when and how it should be used and where it should be used so that it shows a great infographic of how it all fits together in one piece so that teachers are not struggling to say, well, when do I use this? How do I use this? It's all in one place. And so part of our science of reading, which makes it so successful, is that part of when we provide professional learning, we're pulling from the adopted core. We're telling them where the supplemental materials are used and how to use for that. So it all is one piece. And so if you, if district can make the process as seamless as possible using what they already have, if it's aligned to the science of reading, it makes the job of the teacher so much easier where they don't have to figure it all out. We figured it out for them. Absolutely. You thought of really, everything. You've thought of everything. That's really great. I, I, I would venture to think that that even comes from like that that business back that background that you have that business background like where you really think of it as a whole puzzle that's just brilliant um are there any questions that you think we should have asked you that we didn't ask about the work that you're doing uh how do you find time to sleep <laughs> right i want to know yeah, yeah. <laughs> take plenty of celsius uh not that i want to market just one particular brand but any any energy drink i'll put it that way stay in the game i always ask um we always ask our guests a, a specific question at the end of the podcast because we know that as educators as leaders there's so much coming at us we're giving getting so much information and you've shared with us a lot in this conversation. So what I want to know is what are the two things that you want to uh, make sure that anyone listening to this podcast takes away from this conversation? Don't be afraid uh, to challenge the status quo, um, one, because we know. And, and then two, prioritize what you think is important. Um, we, as a district, said that the science of reading rollout is critical to our success to improving the achievement gap. And so we put all of our eggs in this basket in terms of funding, support, uh, teacher. And so we repurpose our Title IIA funds 
to make sure that it addresses this and aligns this. We, we prioritize our Title I funds to make sure that this addresses those gaps. And so this, when I say a full court press, we look at everything from budget to PD to grant alignment to teacher resources, the, everything. And so it takes a, a whole commitment uh, to make this work. And so uh, I would say be full, full in on this process and make sure that you have system leaders that believe in this work so that they can rally around and support this. Dr. Cohn, thank you so much. You just shared the most practical wisdom. And I know that we have district leaders all over the country who are going to learn a lot and find gaps in their current plan that you've been able to help them address. So thank you so much for being on the Science of Reading Leadership podcast. We, we appreciate you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us. If you found this conversation valuable, please subscribe and leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. We will see you next time on Science of Reading Leadership, Guiding Minds, Transforming Lives.